Good morning. Uh, I will be reading from Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast nor its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in this first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to, ga to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets were, false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Thank you for those kind words, Brother Steve. It may be hard for some of you to believe, but we are planning to settle down a little more as time goes on. Uh, we are still in the major transition of our lives, uh, which began a year ago and continues. Uh, we uh, try to behave ourselves during the school year and stay close to EVI, which we did. But once uh, school was out, uh, our schedule went uh, quite crazy. Since the 26th of, of uh, April, when school was out, uh, we have uh, 
over 11,000 road miles behind us, and we're still climbing on that figure. Uh, mostly just back and forth uh, between here and there and a few other places. Uh, we do covet your prayers as we seek to get more settled. There's work to be done in Indiana. There's work to be done here. Uh, just a number of things need to be taken care of. And hopefully by this time next year, if the Lord tarries and if our health holds out, why we will be more settled and be able to stay in one place longer. <coughs> we are due uh, <coughs> tomorrow in Indiana and then expect to be back here on Thursday. <coughs> so it'll be that sort of time for a while, trying to get settled down. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles <coughs> to Revelation chapter 22. Sometimes you give the title for a sermon and then afterwards you think about what might have been a better title. And I suppose a better title for this sermon would be the last word. Uh, but uh, that is not, uh, the title more reflects what we want to say. And so we will try to say it uh, as it would be true we believe, in the light of the future. The passage that was read earlier, Revelation 20, was suggested to set a bit of the background for this passage. And those of you with very defined millennial views may have gotten hung up in the first part of chapter 20, and missed the point. The point is that there is judgment coming. It's a final judgment from which there will be no change. And it is with that background that we come to the closing words of the scriptures in Revelation 22, beginning at verse 10. These are things, uh, before we start reading verse 10, that John saw as revealed to him uh, by the angel. And please follow along as I read. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters 
and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. As we consider this passage, It is important that we think seriously about what is to come. And I'm very much concerned that we as Christians today don't do that. We don't think seriously about what is to come. We are involved in the present. We are involved in making money, taking care of family. Some are involved in hobbies. We're involved in doing the everyday sorts of things. And I'm not suggesting that we should not be involved in them. And yet there should be that overarching concern that Jesus is coming that we will give an answer for everything that we have done in the body, the scripture says, that we are ultimately responsible for something far above and beyond merely daily routine. In fact, daily routine should be seen in the light of the future. So why do you take care of your family, men? Because it's the thing to do? Or because it is a part of the preparation for the day when you will look into the eyes of Jesus? I suggest that it is the latter. It is a part of the preparation for the day when you will look into the eyes of Jesus. <clears throat> but we, we lose track of that in the midst of everyday activities. And we preachers sometimes lose track of it in terms of teaching it. We uh, enjoy teaching more on heaven than we do on hell. Messages on hell are far less in number than the percentage of them is in the scripture because it's unpleasant to talk about 
And this is not one of those messages, in fact. But we do need to remember our responsibility to daily, regularly, consistently live in the light of the Lord's return, in the light of being face to face with Jesus. Now this scripture, first of all, underlines the fact that this is going to happen, that it is about to happen, that the Lord's coming is not prohibited by any events that yet have to take place. That is suggested even by the reference to not sealing up the words of the prophecy of this book in verse 10, wherein the scripture commonly commands the words to be sealed up unto a day <coughs> when the seals will be broken and the books read. These things are not to be sealed up because the time is near, it says in verse 10. And this terminology reflects the principle that the coming of the Lord, the final events, however you put them in your pet orders, the final events are at the door. Nothing else has to happen before these things start spinning off and happening. We speak of the imminency of the Lord's return, and by that we mean that it can be at any time. And that is the concept here in verse 10. Don't put these truths away on the shelf, on a dusty shelf in a scroll to worry about later. No, you should be thinking about these things right now. That's the concept. <clears throat> and then, secondly, there is a sad day coming that is a part of these events. And You'll notice that in verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil. <clears throat> Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous keep on doing right, is, is a paraphrase. And let the holy continue to strive toward holiness. Again, that's a paraphrase, but it kind of carries the meaning. Does not mean that a holy person is absolutely holy other than God. But we strive in that direction. We move in that direction through, in this time, what we call progressive sanctification. The sad part of this is that this does not include a call for the evildoer to turn from his evil ways. is one of the most interesting verses of Scripture in that 
because of that. Whereas scripture continually up to this very point calls and calls people to turn from their evil ways to the Lord. Accompanying that call is the instruction of the Lord regarding the drawing work of the Father. When the Lord says, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. <clears throat> Apparently, in this end event that we're reading about in this passage, the drawing stops. And it is as if God the Father said, okay, these have been the opportunities. You've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Now just go your evil way. I would like to suggest to you that while this is a point in time or a series of points in time in Revelation 22, we may have already started into some of these things. I cannot do more than suggest that because I do not know the future. But it does seem that people do not come to Christ in multiples the way that they have in the past as often or as many. Now, I'm not suggesting that there could not break out another great revival. That has happened throughout history. That may yet happen again. But barring that, it would seem to me, you're hearing my opinion now, it would seem to me that less people are coming, less people are responding to the call of God. This is only an illustration, but I remember as a young man attending the Graham Crusades in Philadelphia, the year was 1961. Uh, the final Sunday afternoon of the Crusades, they had moved them to larger facilities. Crusades lasted uh, close to a month. Uh, they started out in the uh, convention hall, and they moved to what was then the Connie Mack Stadium, which is now gone and then finally moved to the Philadelphia Stadium, which is now gone. But anyway, at Philadelphia Stadium on that final Sunday afternoon, they had something like 110,000. It was over 100,000 people uh, packed into the old stadium. The stadium was large, and using the entire football field for seating, uh, they could easily get that many people in. And I remember fairly clearly when the time of invitation came, uh, the crowd that responded, of course some of them were counselors, uh, but the crowd that was later reported uh, that well over 5,000, almost 10,000 people made professions of faith there that day.
I don't know what you think of those crusades. I have some thoughts, and they are not all complimentary. But we don't see those things happen anymore. That's the point of the illustration. And the Graham organization doesn't even try to work in that kind of large scale anymore because there is no response or little response. What I'm saying is that we have, we have moved as a society further and further from God. And I'm suggesting also that God may be pulling back just a bit. Not finally, as in the case of this verse, but pulling back just a bit on his drawing. And to me, that's only more evidence that what's reported here in chapter 22 of Revelation is really just around the corner. When God will say, enough. My spirit, he says, will not always strive with men. I think that time is coming and perhaps has already begun. That doesn't mean that God's word doesn't mean what it says. It doesn't mean that if you do, that if you do not receive Christ, you still have a chance for heaven. It doesn't mean that there is not a hell. There is certainly a hell that will be cast into the lake of fire, as Brian read earlier. These are absolutes. They will happen. But we are seeing apostasy on a large scale. We're seeing less people come to Christ. Though, as you look at little pockets of places, lots of people are coming, particularly those who've never heard before. But we're not saying evangelism is over or it's hopeless. We need to double our efforts and redouble them in evangelism. But let's understand, in terms of the signs of the times, we're getting closer. We're obviously much closer than John was when he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we are getting closer to the fulfillment of these things. Out of that, as the Lord promises in verse 12 that he is coming soon, again, that seems to be the theme of this section, coming quickly, I'm coming soon. As the Lord promises he's coming soon, he is bringing his recompense with him to repay everyone for what he has done. Now it's interesting that the, rebel, that the uh, judgments spoken of in the book of Revelation and elsewhere are judgments according to works. The message of salvation is not a message of works. But we need to keep in mind that when one comes to Christ, truly comes to Christ, his works change two ways. 
One, they change in terms of motive. They change in terms of motive in that no longer are they uh, doing things to glorify themselves, but they are doing things to glorify God. And secondly, their works change in content. And while the content of uh, conduct can be, quote, good for an unbeliever, in other words, unbelievers do some good things, because of the motive for which they do them, which is essentially selfish or self-righteous, those works are as filthy rags before our God. And so as we come to the judgments, they are judgments according to works. With the motive included. And so a person who has come to Christ, truly come to Christ, and become a genuine Christian, there will be good works flowing from his life. Or shall we substitute the word righteous for good? There will be righteous works flowing from his life. And we are taught that if there are no righteous works, then there is no faith in the scriptures. And so it is those works that will be the indicator in the judgment. And God it says here, Jesus says, I'll bring my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. And so, at this judgment, pictured beautifully for us in Revelation 20, Jesus will repay the unbeliever according to his works, which are a reflection of his unbelief, lake of fire forever and ever. The believer, according to his works, done for the glory of God, not in selfishness, the rewards of heaven. So I see in verse 12 sort of a separation here, beginning. And then the Lord identifies himself in verse 13, where he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, Jesus is from eternity to eternity. But in terms of this context, he has seen it all. He has seen us all and will judge righteously. A blessing is pronounced upon those who are true, and verse 14 reflects that. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Again, the context here 
presumes salvation, but here is the reward. They may have the right to the tree of life, may enter the city by the gates. Remember, <clears throat> when the Lord was talking about the shepherd and the sheep in John 10, he talked about, in that general context, he talks about thieves and robbers, robbers who don't come by the door, they try to climb up some other way. I think you have part of that reflected here. They'll be able to enter by the gates. Whereas the others attempt in their own self-righteousness to enter some other way. And they will not be permitted to enter. But those who are true Christians, true believers, Christ followers, they'll enter by the gates. That is what lies ahead for us. And there is that blessing upon those who persevere. The separation that began being mentioned in verse 12 with the word recompense, reward, is expanded in verse 15. So you have these in verse 14 that are on their way to heaven. Going to enter by the gates. And you have those in verse 15 or outside of that. Their judgment's going to be eternal punishment. And they are described here. And if time would permit, we could go through these, these descriptors. Outside. In other words, you have the inside in heaven. And you have those outside. And those outside are spoken of as dogs. This is a term used several times in the New Testament. It is, it is not complementary to the animal dogs, nor is it meant to speak of them, but rather using the term to apply to those who are ravenous, spiritually speaking, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so there is a final separation that takes place. Those who are righteous through the justification accomplished by Christ, those who are not. And that separation will be eternal. So the separation is complete. And then we come toward the close of this passage with Jesus giving testimony through the angel, identifying himself further. Earlier, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Now, identifying himself further, I am the root and descendant of David. He is the king. He is the king of kings, the bright morning star. That is who our Savior is. He is not only the one who always was and always will be. He's not only the one who has seen everything that has happened in your life and mine and every other human being. 
but he is the one who has the rights to the eternal kingdom as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the one uh, that we're waiting for. And in response to that, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. The bride is the church, the true church. Spirit, I would assume, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. If you're a part of the true bride, you can't wait for these things to happen. If you're not a part of the true bride, you will probably respond, well, I, I hope... I hope the Lord waits a couple days here. I've got a few things I need to do. Now, the true bride is always ready. And the Lord labored that point with the, with the parable of the uh, people invited to the wedding, whether they had oil in their lamps or not. Always ready. The spirit of the bride say, come. And, and then the scripture says, let everyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come, and the one who desires the water of life without price. If your heart aches to be with Jesus, if you want the water of life, you will respond by coming. And then it seems almost out of place, this, these verses 18 and 19, it's a warning. In the midst of all of this glory, <clears throat> here comes a warning. And it's about the book that we've been reading, or part of which we've been reading. The book that has been given through John. It's specifically to Revelation, but we would understand it in its location here at the end to probably refer to whole scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. The scripture is sufficient. It's complete. And we may have things that we set in place for good order that are extra biblical, we say. That we agree as a covenant community to have. That's fine. But we should never elevate that to the level of scripture. Always have house rules. Always. Uh, you say you don't have any rules. You have a rule. Don't have any rules then, I guess. But you have house rules. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the eternal truth of God cannot be altered by men or the judgment of God will be poured out on those men. That's what this says. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, this, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. So you add to the words of this book,
an accrued judgment. You take away from the words of this book and you incur eternal judgment. And then the Lord closes the book and the book of books. Even so, surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. This is said several times in different ways. You say, well, it's been 2,000 years since this was written. Yes? And Peter says, if you think that way, that is the thinking of unbelief. He said, now your salvation is nearer than it was when you believed. And we look around us and we see the things taking place and we must assume that this is very near. And so, have you prepared for heaven? Some people will prepare for their retirement. Some people prepare for their children's well-being. Those are all right things. But they pale in importance to preparing to see the Lord. To look into those penetrating eyes of Jesus, knowing that he is recorded visually and in every other way. Everything you've ever done. Have you prepared to meet him? To me, that is the challenge of this passage. May we pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of reading through this section of your word. Certainly, we have not done it justice, and yet it is very challenging to us. Help us to be able to think your thoughts after you in this regard especially. That we think with eternity in view. We pray in Jesus' name.